G'day, mate. 40 here. So I just looked at uh, comments on some of my videos. Uh, Art Bell makes the argument that uh, Nick Fuentes is only making about $50 a show and that people are afraid to donate to him because the FBI and uh, other forms of the federal government froze his, his bank accounts and Nick is apparently on a no-fly list and so people are afraid to donate to Nick Fuentes so may get 6,000 live viewers but may only make uh, $50 a show was Art Bell's argument so I think there's something to that right? I, I think people may be afraid to donate to Nick Fuentes because of the law enforcement scrutiny that he's getting and so you can build up a movement by saying incendiary things as, as Nick has done but if you empower your opposition more than you empower your own supporters which it seems he's done just like Richard Spencer did then you get into then you get into trouble and so when you you move from simply being funny and entertaining to being toxic and moving beyond toxic to being under law enforcement scrutiny and crackdown and having your, your bank accounts frozen, right? as you get pushed increasingly to the margins of society, that comes with a huge price. And so people who have something to lose are increasingly loath to associate with you. So that happened to the alt-right, it's happening to Nick Fuentes. And so when I'm reading the making of the atomic bomb, just thinking how important it is to have smart people on your side. You, know, you really don't want to create a situation where people with something to lose are increasingly incentivized to have absolutely nothing to do with you. Then there was another question, I think, by Don, a comment by Don Cooper. He said, considering the religion you converted to, I would tread lightly questioning the faith of Christians in America. Why would I tread lightly? It's either true or it's not true. And I said absolutely nothing about questioning the faith. So everyone sees the world through their own prism. They see the world as they are, not as the world is. So I said absolutely nothing about questioning people's religious faith. Simply made a point that empirically, behaviorally, when you look at the behavior of Christians, just like when you look at the behavior of a large number of modern Orthodox Jews, outside of specifically religious commitments, there's no behavioral difference in the way they lead their lives. So I'm saying absolutely nothing about the faith, just that, that by their fruits you shall know them. By their fruits, American religion by and large is a mile wide and an inch deep. So in Europe and Australia, when someone goes to church every week, it says something very distinctive about them. It means that overall that they have a life that is quite different from the lives of, of people around them. But in America, it says virtually nothing about someone that they, they go to church beyond that that is a, a savvy way to position themselves socially and for business. So this is nothing about questioning the faith. I, I would argue that faith in and of itself doesn't, there's no connection between someone's faith and, and how they behave. Right, sometimes a faith commitment will show itself consistently in behavioral changes, but just as often it won't. So I know that there, I remember there was some, there, there was a Hulu miniseries about uh, Pam and Tommy Lee, Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee, and there was a pornographer in there who 
who sold the tape, went off to Holland, took $10,000 from Butchie Pereno, an associate of the mafia, and did a lot of drugs and hookers. And I think the same pornographer at one point, Milt, Milt Ingley, he became an Orthodox Jew, or a pornographer like him. And so he went from being, from an outside perspective, from many people's perspectives in the porn industry, a scumbag, to being an ortho, quote-unquote Orthodox Jewish scumbag. And so you can, you can switch to Orthodox Judaism and absolutely still be a scumbag. And you can switch from being an atheist to being a Christian and still being a scumbag. So these quote-unquote faith commitments frequently don't mean absolutely anything. Sometimes they do. So I've particularly seen it with certain types of evangelical Christians. that They have had seem to have had a genuine change of the heart, a change in spirit that their faith has transformed them. And it demonstrates in a completely different attitude and a completely different way that they speak and conduct themselves. So, so sometimes faith has definite behavioral changes. But what was it that uh, was it the Apostle James said in the New Testament? You show me your faith, I'll show you my works. So it's a lot easier to profess a faith change and even a quote-unquote religious change without manifesting a behavioral change so that you're less needlessly angry, you're more patient, you're more tolerant, uh, you are a better neighbor, you're more honest in business. So tell, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that there are distinctive behavioral changes between those Americans who go to church and those Americans who don't. Like, what are the behavioral differences between those two groups? There certainly doesn't seem to be any significant behavioral differences between people who believe in God and don't believe in God, in America anyway. So remember... In the 1950s and 60s, I think it was thought that once if people lose God, lose religion, uh, lose fear of hell, that their behavior is just going to go downhill. And we have not seen that. On the other hand, we've seen enormous changes since the pill. So people haven't gone to hell since they stopped believing in hell, but there have been enormous changes in sexual mores since, since the pill. So sometimes a change will have profound effects and sometimes a change in faith or a lack of religiosity or a lack of faith will have no discernible behavioral impact. And then there was a question, how does my spirituality affect the practice of my religion, affect my YouTube channel, and affect how I conduct my daily life? So I believe I experienced a genuine spiritual change through working the 12 steps. And so I think this has manifested by saying fewer needlessly hurtful things to other people. So I believe I've become a lot easier to be around over the last 12 years. So I believe it affects my YouTube channel and that I try to make the impact of my videos either neutral or positive, right? I'm, I'm not so naive to think that, you know, everyone who watches one of my videos is going to have a spiritual transformation and their life is going to change for the better. But I would prefer to make videos that either have no change on people or, for a tiny minority, have a you know, positive change. What's more central to, to my life, the 12 steps or Torah Judaism? Well, the form of my life may be much more affected by Torah Judaism, but my practice of Torah Judaism did not affect my addictions and did not affect my character defects. And so... 
the, the spiritual core of my life comes much more from the 12 steps than it does from Torah Judaism. So my experience of, of Judaism did not change my fundamental moral challenges, my fundamental addictions, my, my fundamental character flaws. So through the 12 steps, I developed a greater peace with myself than I received through Judaism. Like Judaism didn't really help me that much achieve a greater peace with myself. What does that tell you about Torah Judaism? Nothing necessarily. I'm just, it tells you something about me, my experience. So I absolutely think there are people who have a profound change in character through the practice of Orthodox Judaism. And then there are other people for whom religion is not going to make a profound character change. So my life experience and my reading and what I see around me is that for most people, becoming religious does not create a change in their moral character. It does not fundamentally change the character deficits, character defects that are hurting innocent people. So the most profound path that I know for changing someone's character is the 12 steps. I'm not saying that it is definitively the most powerful path I have seen and what I know. It's much more powerful. Can 12-step programs be regarded as a religion? I mean, yeah, you can regard them as such, but they're not. They're, they're a power of spirituality. They're, they're a form of a spiritual practice. They're, they're an accompaniment to a spiritual practice. They're an accompaniment to to a life that works. So I didn't consistently develop a life that works until I stumbled on the 12 steps. So a life that works means, number one, that you become at ease with yourself. And I think from the number of hours of live streams that you, I do, I think you're seeing someone who's fundamentally at ease with himself. If you had to give up one, Torah Judaism or 12-step programs, which would you give up? Well, I would not give up my sobriety, right? My sobriety comes first. Um, so without emotional sobriety. So I've never never engaged in, in drinking or drugging. But my emotional sobriety comes first. So for me, a life that works means I'm at ease with myself. And I do feel at ease with myself 95% of the time plus. I'm a happy person 95% of the time. And then I am increasingly at ease with other people. So I'm unaware of being in any significant fuse with other people for many, many years. Right? I can't remember when I was last in a... I can't recall the last time I was in an ongoing intense feud with someone, say, prior to 2010. So I think I've gone the last 12 years without any intense feuding. So that's benefited my life. So I think I get along better with other people. I think I cause much less needless harm to people through my blogging and through through my videos than, than I did prior to 2010. Rune says, I use Stoicism, minimalism, and some 12-step knowledge. Sounds like 12-step is more important to Luke than Torah and rabbis and Talmud. Well, yeah, without sobriety, I am trouble. I'm trouble for myself and I'm trouble for other people. So I've got to put my emotional sobriety first. Now, I, I, I love Judaism, love Torah, you know, love going to synagogue, love, love participating in Orthodox Judaism. But unless I'm sober, I'm doing damage to people. 
Like I am needlessly offending people. I'm needlessly hurting people. I'm needlessly wounding people. I'm needlessly creating division among people. I'm needlessly creating headaches for people. I'm needlessly wounding people. I'm needlessly a source of aggravation to people without emotional sobriety. So, the other night, for example, I started feeling lonely and started feeling like, you know, my life is on the wrong track. And so I responded to that by getting into some some 12-step material and I managed to get my emotional equilibrium. What I might have done in the past is act out to get attention. If 12-step had its own temples and religious ceremonies, would I go? I don't know. I like that it's not a religious program. You know, I like that anyone from any religion or no religion can go. So I have no plans to move outside of Orthodox Judaism. I'm Orthodox Jew for life. But what I used to do with my anxiety and loneliness is, you know, I'd watch pornography. That'd make me feel alive. Or I would act out online. I'd say something outrageous to get attention. Or I would, you know, use my sex and love life to soothe my anxiety. Why do they keep saying Putin looks sick when he looks 100% normal? I'm not sure. I notice that a lot as well, and I don't see obvious signs that Putin looks sick. Porn is, porn is depressing. Yeah, I mean, the, the net effect of pornography is depressing, but temporarily it takes people out of state, just like alcohol. Like many people are miserable, they take alcohol and it takes them outside of themselves. So if you're fundamentally a miserable person, you're going to look for some form of escape. So gambling, I used to be really into gambling. Uh, TV sports, you know, watching TV sports, that would take me outside of myself. Excitement is kind of dangerous for, for the addict like, like me. So how has 12 Step affected, say, my practice of Judaism? I've become less concerned with the form and more concerned with my spirit and my heart and why I'm doing things. Daily Mail had an article, Putin looks sick because this and that. Yeah, I don't know. I know that's a major talking point and uh, I'm just not seeing it, not saying it's not true. It's just not, just not obvious to me. So... So, for example, instead of uh, trying to daven all the prayers, I may just choose a line to, to meditate on. So, Orthodox Judaism say that Saturday morning service, there may be 60 pages of prayers to say. And instead of putting an emphasis on getting through all the prayers to be a good Jew or to look like a good Jew, thanks to 12-step, I may just concentrate on a phrase or a sentence or a paragraph. I may just meditate on one of those over and over again instead of going through all the prayers. I, I think it's more important that I stay like emotionally sober than that I you know, show up to, to dubbing. So it's often more important that I talk to my sponsor or talk to sponsees or get to a meeting than that I get to a Torah class or to a, a prayer service because going to, to dubbing or going to a Torah class, it's not going to have the same effect 
on my emotional addictions as 12-step. So I pay more attention to, to what's the effect that a particular practice or service or, or rabbi or, or Torah class or community, what effect does it have on me? Like, is it aiding or, or harming my sobriety? So people looking for any experience, and yeah, that is why Pentecostalism is so big right now in celebration forms of worship, whether in Judaism or Christianity are so dominant because people want to experience something. And so I start approaching life through the filter of what effect will this have on me and what situation will this put me in because there are certain situations that will put me in a position of wanting to stand out from everyone else, that wanting to show that I'm smarter than everyone else wanting to try to assert my my intellectual superiority to you know, want to you know, raise my status. There are all sorts of like competitive situations that are just bad for me. So I guess I use the 12 steps to more carefully gauge which situations are good for me to be in and you know which situations I should uh, perhaps avoid. And so I'm less concerned with the form, more concerned with the spirit. How often do I think about Brundlefly? Oh, probably every um, every couple of weeks. Probably think about uh, Brundlefly and uh, hey, you know, give him give him a call or or reach out in some way or curious how he's doing. Uh, so so there are a lot of people that I've met through doing these live streams, and I reach out to them and then they don't get back to me. So I may reach out once or twice to someone and if they don't get back to me, I just let it go. Or I may wait, wait a year and reach out again. So that's something I learned from Al-Anon. Make a suggestion to someone only once and, and like calling someone and saying, hey, call me back, that's a suggestion. So generally speaking, I think it's best to make a suggestion or to leave a message for someone only once and then just leave it up to them. Uh, question from the chat, why did Brundlefly worship Richard Spencer for years? I don't think uh, Brundlefly worshipped uh, Richard Spencer for years. I think Richard Spencer sometimes says some interesting things and uh, Richard Spencer is very good at, at live streaming and he can hold attention and so I don't think that uh, Brundlefly was any more smitten by Richard Spencer than tens of thousands of people. Pentecostal wave is eventually going to burn out. Well, everything's going to burn out. But this desire to have a genuine experience of something transcendent, I don't think that's ever going to burn out. And a genuine desire for emotional comfort. That as we live in a world that's increasingly less magical, less mystical... Brundlefly used to defend Richard Spencer against Matt Forney and Spencer's other critics. Well, just because Brundlefly de defended Spencer vis-a-vis -vis Spencer's critics like Matt Forney doesn't mean that Brundlefly was worshipping Spencer. just meant that compared to Matt Forney or compared to Richard's other critics, uh, Brundlefly found Richard Spencer more impressive. So these things are situational as opposed to whom. All right? So, so Spencer had a run where he met a need 
for people, an emotional and intellectual and social and cultural need, just like a, a good live streamer, like a good uh, radio talk show host. Right? People need emotional comfort. Right? People feel dislocated. People feel the need for a reconnection to magic. How come Nick Fuentes can barely get any super chat money anymore? Because people think that he's he, that the feds are after him and that they'll get on some kind of you know, fed list. And so they don't want to get, people want to avoid trouble, right? People don't want to, want to become the subject of law enforcement attention. People don't want like extra INS scrutiny. People don't want scrutiny. So people are afraid of law enforcement attention. I was moved, more moved by the ending of the fly than by any Bible story. Richard Spencer puts on a great show. It's a pity he can't run enterprises and take care of people. Yeah, it's a very compelling live streamer, but many of the qualities of the compelling live stream, such as, for example, what Spencer does is consistently say the unexpected. Right? That does make for a compelling live stream. doesn't make necessarily for a good leader of men or someone reliable or someone who you want checking the, the engines before the plane takes off. So the very qualities that make someone a great live streamer often make them a bad friend or a bad leader, or someone that you that you don't want to rely on. So often, the very thing that feeds us is also the thing that's going to kill us. And so often, people become, you know, people become intoxicated by live streaming and they do it to the detriment of their real life and their real friendships and, and relationships. And so I try to fit my live streaming to my life. Like my life is more important than my live streaming. My emotional sobriety is more important than my live streaming. So you'll notice after the Jim Goad Saturday Night Massacre, I never did another blood sports again. I didn't like how that Saturday Night Massacre made me feel. I didn't like the after effects. Have I considered TikTok? No, I have not seriously considered uh, TikTok. So that's that's one example of how 12 Steps influences my live streaming is I try to do live streams that fit within my 12 Step communities, that fit within my own welfare, that fit with the welfare of people who are close to me, that fit with my life. So I don't shape my life to my live streams. I shape my live streams to my life. So that means that I don't say certain things. I don't tackle certain topics. I don't do, you know, the blood sports to get the huge views. All right. It means that I go in a much more high IQ direction. I go in a much more pro-social direction. I try to think about the effect of my words on you know, every major segment of my life and every major relationship of my life, every major community in my life. I try to consider... You know, what will be the impact of this live stream on this you know, important relationship, on this important community? Is it gonna, is it gonna diminish any of my important connections? And so I give up you know, some of the more rambunctious live streaming, some of the more you know, intoxicating, edgy commentary for the sake of having you know, a pretty good life.
right? my, my happiness and my emotional sobriety are more important to me than getting large numbers of YouTube viewers. So after the Saturday Night Massacre with Jim Goad, I think that was December of 2018, I could have kept doing blood sports and I could have had thousands of live viewers and I made a deliberate choice not to go in that direction. Like I made a deliberate choice to have a smaller, more elite, more pro-social audience and to make videos that are either morally neutral or possibly have a positive effect on some people. Luke, get in the water. I was in the water. I did go for a swim. Am I friends with Jim Goad? No, I have not had any contact with Jim Goad since probably a week or two after the uh, that Saturday night show. So I guess I'm not friends with Jim Goad anymore. And also as I get older, I'm less and less likely to have difficult friendships. Like some people are just a challenge. You know, some people can just be difficult to be around. And so part of the ethos that I've learned from, from the 12 steps is to you know, perhaps create some, some distance from those who are, who are ornery and difficult and, and threatening to my emotional equilibrium. And there, there are a lot of things that are a lot more important to me now than excitement and viewership and super chats. Yeah, this is... So you can see the Santa Monica Pier straight ahead. And then north of that is Malibu. And then that's Venice down that direction. And the LAX port. He's saying that Jim Goad is hard to be a friend with. Uh, Jim Goad is a chump doesn't just assent to things. So he has his own moral code and his own rigorous sense of honesty that would put many people to shame. But uh, that can also be mentally tiring and, and challenging. So I usually prefer you know, those relationships that, uh, that are not going to predispose me to, to say things that I regret or to feeling things that I don't want to be feeling I, I don't want to I don't want to be defending myself a lot I don't want to be feeling awkward and out of place you don't see many Sheilas on this beach mate this uh, this beach is filled with Sheilas surely Sheilas are all around us so how does the 12 steps affect my live streaming I think I'm and to that, how does it affect my religion? I'm more interested in the the spirit, on the, the emotions, the the me that emerges from the practice of my religion than simply fulfilling uh, practices. I, I'm concerned, you know, what what effect will this have on me? And how can I try to ensure I'm my best self and put myself in the best situations? So I'm less concerned with going through the motions and more concerned with connecting with uh, connecting with God. Then uh, how does the 12 steps affect how I make a living? Well, I try to limit my, my earning to, to honorable work, right? I was, I was more willing to do, to do things I wasn't proud of 
For instance, I made a lot of money on running pornography banner ads 15, 20 years ago. What do I think about Asmodor from the Daily Stormer? Do you think he is a great intellectual? Um, I haven't paid any attention to him in the last few years, so I have no idea. But I do notice that many people got like an intense emotional experience from the Daily Stormer and from the right stuff that just had a negative effect on their life. So I'm sure there are plenty of people for whom it's not had a negative effect. But I do notice some people that they're, they're playing around with the alt-right online with such a intense emotional experience that it met their needs in a way that has led them to back away from real life and has ended up having a deleterious effect on their real life. I wonder if Yggdrasil is still alive. Yeah, no idea. So, yeah, I've noticed many people getting morally desensitized by the alt-right learning learning uh, a kind of overly provocative, edgy, and antisocial ways of thinking and speaking and acting that have not benefited their real life. What do I think of Adam Green? A uh, pretty chill guy. Uh, pretty easy to talk to. Uh, so, you know, my, my defenses didn't go up. Like Kevin McDonald is also someone who's easy to talk to. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't feel threatened when I talk to a Kevin McDonald or an Adam Green. So certainly there are many things that Adam Green has said that I strongly, strongly disagree with. And however, there is not like this, you know, burning, you know, unpleasantness to Adam Green that there are with, with many dissident people. What do I think about Christianity? I think Christianity has a very positive effect on many people's lives, but it has no discernible behavioral effect on most Americans who claim to be Christian. Right? Their behavior is essentially indistinguishable from non-Christians. So I believe the West has been profoundly shaped by Christianity, and I believe that the West is, has been a pretty good thing. I, I have seen many people's lives change from a genuine experience with, with uh, evangelical and, and Pentecostal Christianity. So that kind of high-intensity experiential Christianity where you, you, you experience the presence of God, I've noticed that that's had a profound effect on, on many people's lives. So those who practice high-intensity religion, there is a profound difference in the way they live compared to those who just practice mainstream religion where there's much less of a difference between the way they live and the way non-religious people live. But some people, intense, high-intensity religion makes them worse. So there's no panacea. There's nothing that, that makes people you know, always better. Right? Sometimes religion makes people better. Sometimes it makes people worse. Sometimes Christianity makes people better. Sometimes it makes it worse. Is Satmajism good for its adherents? I'm sure it's good for many of them, and I'm sure it's bad for many of them, and I'm sure it's a wash for many of them. So people want comfort and connection. And... Uh, Not sure why we've got a siren going off here. So Adam Green hates Christianity because he, he regards it as Jewish. Yeah, a lot of I notice that's that's very common. 
I don't know that much about Adam Green. I've had two conversations with him, which were perfectly pleasant. And Duvid says he's had various interactions with him again, which have been perfectly pleasant. On the other hand, if I go to Canary Mission and I see quotes that uh, they say Adam Green has said, then he looks absolutely nuts. You know, he looks he looks like fiendish when you, when you go to Canary Mission. So pretty much any of us, if you put some of the quotes, some of the things, crazy things we've said and done, you now we look terrible. And uh, that, that's certainly true for Adam Green. It'd certainly be true for me. If you look at certain things I'd, I've said, and you just put them up on a website, like, I, I'd be appalled. You'd be appalled. Right, so m many Christians, particularly in America, don't regard their, their the Jewish origins of Christianity as a bad thing. And so American Christianity in particular is probably the most Jew-friendly form of Christianity of which I'm aware. And given that Christianity in large part comes from Judaism, you know, that seems a pretty, pretty adaptive and understandable response. Now, on the other hand, there will be tensions between Christians and Jews. But uh, in certain contexts, you know, these tensions will, will flare up and be particularly intense. In other contexts, Christians and Jews will find they have a lot in common. So prior to the 18th century, Christian and Jewish fortunes tended to rise and fall in opposite directions. So when, when Jewish fortunes were rising, Christian fortunes were falling. When Christian fortunes were falling, Jewish fortunes were rising. But after the 18th century, the 19th and 20th century, into the 21st century, Jewish and Christian fortunes have tended to rise and fall together. So prior to the 18th century, differences between Christians and Jews were keen. But after the 18th century, Christians and Jews frequently found they had more in common than they did with non-religious people, right? So in modernity, where religion is becoming increasingly watered down, where life is becoming increasingly less magical, mystical, and religious, Jews and Christians find a lot in common. Frustrating that there doesn't seem to be room for a non-anti-Semitic form of Christianity within the distant right. Yeah, that's true. Makes it difficult though if you also have distant right sympathies. Well, like the MAGA movement is certainly Jew-friendly, right? The the Steve Bannon Breitbart movement is certainly Jew-friendly and approaching dissident right or new right. Are you looking at global Christianity or the narrow backwards version of small town America? Well, there is, global Christianity means nothing. Christianity in Nigeria is completely different than Christianity in New York City or Christianity in small town Alabama or Christianity in Japan or Christianity in Scandinavia. Okay, global Christianity and global Judaism mean almost nothing, right? You have to place religion in a particular situation. 
in a particular context. Right? There's almost nothing that, say, the Nigerian Christian, the Japanese Christian, the Norwegian Christian, and the, uh, I don't know, the Brazilian Christian have in common. Right? Because there aren't any essential qualities to being Christian or Jewish or Muslim or, or black. Right? It's all situational. It depends on the particular people in a particular place in a particular time. So in, in Australia and in Europe, someone who goes to church every week generally leads a life that's quite distinct from those of the unchurched around him. But in America, that's not so true. Uh, Christianity in Africa is very syncretistic. It's, it's a mixture of you know, various forms of, of African religion and witchcraft that, that would be largely unfathomable to, uh, say, European Christians. Christianity practiced in Japan, very different from the Christianity practiced in, in Europe. 